Christ is found in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. And I'd like you to join with me this morning. And let's read this together. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What this verse tells us is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ teaches us that He is the Son of God and He has the power of God. The resurrection confirms all of His claims, that He is God, that He is Savior, that He is Lord, and that He has the ability to transform our lives. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the gospel records, one of the things we learn is that the very shortest account of Jesus' resurrection is in Mark chapter 16. It covers about eight verses. And yet, even though it's the shortest account, it is a power-packed account. In fact, the main theme of this account is the transforming power of the resurrection. And as Mark writes about what happened on that first Easter Sunday, there are three questions that he answers. Who moved the stone? Was it God's power or human power? And then, what happened to the body? Was it God's power or was it human power? And then... What changed those disciples? Was it God's power or simply human? Now, the answer of the Bible is that the only explanation for all the answers to these three questions is without a doubt that it was the power of God. That's what the Bible teaches. But what is interesting for us today is that with each one of these questions, there is a practical application to our life. If indeed it was the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and He's alive today, then He has the ability to transform our lives. And that is the whole reason why we are here today. So let's begin, shall we? Let's look at the first question. Who moved the stone? Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark 16, and I want to begin reading verses 1 through 4. Mark chapter 16, your second gospel in the New Testament, and let me read for us verses 1 through 4. Here's what the Scripture says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another. This was the topic of conversation on the way that morning. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And now will you notice this little comment? 
It was very large. Now, the women named in verse 1 all had something very much in common. They had all been at the crucifixion. Two of them, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, had also witnessed the burial of Jesus. And the Bible tells us here that they arrived at the tomb when the sun had risen, so it was broad daylight. Now, this is all very, very significant in the gospel record because one of the false theories about what took place is that the women went to the wrong tomb. And when they did not find the body of Jesus in their emotional state, they all hallucinated and thought they saw Jesus alive. Now, this tells us that cannot be the case. First of all, it's clear they were not expecting a resurrection, or why did they bring spices with them? And uh, they had watched the burial. Uh, there were two of them who knew the location, and now when they arrived, it was broad daylight. Uh, hallucination makes no sense, because how do three people all hallucinate the same thing, right? Right? especially when it never entered their mind that such a thing could happen. No, the Bible tells us here that actually they were worried about one thing. Tombs had no doors. And so their biggest concern as they walked to the tomb that morning was who would roll that stone away. Now, it's interesting, as we uh, look at the, the history of this, one of the things we discover is there were two types of stones that could have been used to block a tomb in the first century. Here's the first kind of uh, stone. Uh, this is a picture of King Herod's family tomb. And the stone that was used for his tomb was about four and a half feet in diameter. Notice what this says. A square blocking stones were more customary in Jesus' day. But the Greek word kulio, translated as rolled in the Gospels, can mean dislodged or moved. So round or square... Such a stone was a huge, heavy barrier requiring a team of strong men in order to move it. A stone like this weighed several hundred pounds, and it was on a slanted track. So when it was rolled down the track to cover the opening, in order to dislodge it, it had to be moved up the track or lifted out of the groove, out of the groom, groove and removed. But what is very interesting is it's possible that this may have even been a larger stone. Uh, there has been a, a tomb, uh, a famous tomb, called the Garden Tomb. It was discovered by a man by the last name of Gordon. And to this day, it's called Gordon's Tomb. It is just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Now, when you examine this tomb, clearly what you discover is this was a rich man's tomb. 
and it fits all of the data that the Bible describes for the tomb that Jesus was buried in. Let me share with you the kind of stone that was necessary to close this tomb. Can we all say this morning? Wow. Wow. Either stone, large or small, would have required about 20 men to roll away the stone. That is more than a Roman guard of 16 soldiers. Now, no wonder then Mark records the women's discussion. It was an impossible task, but notice what the Bible says in verse 4. When they arrived, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. The Bible is very precise here. Had been rolled back is what is known in the New Testament as a divine passive. What was impossible for the women was possible for God. He is the one who rolled it back. Now there's a wonderful, wonderful lesson for us here today. And we do not want to miss this lesson. What the Bible is teaching us here is that Jesus' power can transform weakness into strength. Isn't that wonderful? What is the message for us today? Well, the message is that Jesus' power can transform our weakness into strength. You see, their human feebleness and uncertainty was replaced by the unexpected, God's dramatic power. And their weakness was transformed into a vision of God's strength by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you may know that one of the great Bible students of our day is a man by the name of Josh McDowell. Many of us know that, that he works for the uh, Christian ministry on college campuses named Crew. What we may not know is that when he was a college student himself, he was a very unhappy man. He tried a number of things, but none of them brought satisfaction to his heart. He even tried religion, but he found that didn't satisfy, and he couldn't believe the truth claims of Christianity. Then one day he noticed a group of college students studying the Bible. And what caught his attention was the radiance of young, one young lady. And so he went up to her and he said, what's the reason for this radiance that you have in your life? She looked him in the eye and she said, it is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. Then those students challenged this college student. Why don't you study the evidence in the Bible for the claims of Christianity and see for yourself if they are true? And so Josh McDowell began a study of the evidence for the claims of Christ 
And he found they were so strong he could not refute them. He became a Christian. And now today, he is one of the foremost defenders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing we cannot miss. It all began when a very, very ordinary student said to him, Jesus Christ transformed my life. And the inner satisfaction that Josh McDowell did not have in his heart, he saw in her heart, and that began his journey to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen what Jesus did for that ordinary college student he can do for you and me. That's the power of the resurrection. The second question that Mark's gospel answers about the resurrection experience is what happened to the body. Now look at verses 5 and 6 with me. And then I want you to look at verse 8 as well. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 8 says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now the second surprise of the women that morning was they encountered an angel, and the body of Jesus was gone. And from their reactions, it is very, very clear they were totally unprepared. In fact, notice how Mark here very skillfully brings us in to their emotions. Verse 5 says they were alarmed. It refers to strong fear and agitation. They were terrified at what they saw. Verse 8 says they were trembling, and so the idea is their bodies were shaking. Verse 8 says they were astonished. Their minds were whirling in bewilderment. And then verse 8 says they were, eight, were, were afraid. Uh, their speechless condition was such that they fled the tomb, and at first they said nothing. Now if you put all of these emotions together... What we see is they went from the depths of sorrow to the heights of great joy. On the road as they were walking, a deep sorrow filled their mind as they were going to pay their final respects. In the tomb, they are terrified at the sight of this unexpected angel and the body being gone. And then as they're running, they are shaking, astonished, and afraid. At first, they said nothing. 
But then in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 8 through 10, he tells us their fear turned to great joy and they ran to tell the disciples. Now, I, I learned another wonderful lesson for us today. These events about what happened are about what Jesus still does today. And I learned this lesson that Jesus' power can transform heartache into hope. You see, the key to all of this was the message of the angel. Notice with me carefully his message in verse 6. It was the key for them, and it's the key for us. First of all, he said, you are looking for Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. They had seen him crucified, buried. They knew he was dead. And the Bible tells us he died for sin. But then the angel said, he has risen. Do you know again, this is another divine passive? In this passage, we have two divine pass pa passives. The stone has been moved. And now here we, we read, he has been raised. Another divine passive telling us it was God's power. The very same historical figure who existed and who died was now alive, and it was God's power. And then notice the angel said, He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Isn't that interesting? The angel invited the women to examine the proof. And when they went inside and looked, they saw that the body was gone. And then when they looked at the stone table where it had laid, they saw exactly what Peter and John saw in John 20, that the grave clothes were lying there neatly and the head cloth was wrapped all by itself. And later when Peter and John went in, and saw the very same evidence, they concluded this could not have been grave robbers. The tomb was too neatly arranged. The clothes were exactly where they should be. And they knew that grave robbers with Roman soldiers outside would have never left it in this way. They knew Jesus had been raised. And what is so interesting is John the Apostle, who wrote the last fourth gospel, says of himself, he believed. He believed. He believed. Now you put all this together. The one you seek is... Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised. Come, see the place where they laid him. You look at all of that and put it all together, and it is the greatest message that has ever been given. You see, what the Bible is saying to us is it is possible to believe in someone living beyond this physical world. 
It is possible for us to believe in that person. We can believe in real victory over death, real forgiveness of sins, and a real solid reason for our faith. That's what the Bible is saying. You know, as you study the Scriptures, one of the things you learn is Jesus does not always take away our heartache. What He does is His power gives us hope beyond that heartache. That's the glory of the resurrection. Yes, we may have heartache, but because we have real victory over death, real forgiveness of sins, and a real solid reason to believe, we can have hope beyond our heartache. Hallelujah. Amen. The third question that this passage answers for us is what changed the disciples. <clears throat> Bible teacher John Stott said, of all the evidences for the resurrection, this one itself may be the most powerful of all. Because the last time we saw the disciples, they were hightailing it away from Jesus. They were acting like total cowards, failures, and on resurrection morning, they were in hiding to protect themselves. But I want you to notice with me now what the angel said in verse 7 was a message for the disciples. Look at what the angel said. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he said. You know what we learned this morning? Another wonderful, wonderful lesson for us. That Jesus' power can transform failures into success. The angel essentially had two messages for the disciples that morning. Number one, their failure was forgiven. And number two, their future was renewed. By the way, wouldn't you like that for yourself? Wouldn't you like to know that your failure can be forgiven and your future can be renewed? How many of us would love to know that is true about ourselves? What is interesting here in the angel's message when he says in verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter, Mark is the only one of the four Gospels that singles out and Peter. He's the only one that mentions specifically Peter. Uh, let me just read for you the significance of this from Bible teacher William Barclay. Listen to what he says. The most precious thing in this passage is in two words that are in no other Gospel. Go, said the messenger, tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter. How that message must have cheered Peter's heart when he received it. 
He must have been tortured with the memory of his disloyalty. And suddenly there came a special message for him. It was characteristic of Jesus that he thought not of the wrong Peter had done, but of the remorse he was undergoing. Jesus was far more eager to comfort the penitent sinner than to punish the sin. Isn't that good news this morning? Jesus is far more eager to forgive the penitent sinner than he is to punish the sin. And then the angel said, I also want you to tell the disciples that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. Do you know that was the exact message Jesus gave the disciples before they deserted him? Before they ever fled in the garden, he said, I'm going to be going before you into Galilee after I have risen from the dead. They did not believe he would rise from the dead. When he was arrested, they cowardly and cravenly deserted him. And yet, what do we find after the resurrection? Jesus' promise still stood, I'll go before you, I will meet you in Galilee. Dear friends, because he did, timid, craven, fearful, cowardly disciples became bold, fearless apostles. Craven, cowardly, timid disciples. Because Jesus said, I will go before you and I will meet you in Galilee, became bold, fearless apostles. You see, Jesus Christ took failures and he turned them into successes. And he can do the same for you and me. Successes in the right way. Spiritual successes in the eyes of God. You know, one of these men who was a spiritual failure, whom Jesus has wonderfully transformed and is using today, is another great apologist for the Christian faith. A very unusual apologist, his name is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist for one of the big Chicago newspapers. He was a skeptic and a non-believer, but he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he has now written some of the most wonderful books defending the Christian faith, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for a Creator, and The Case for the Resurrection. Let me share with you his story. Listen to what he said. How can I tell you the difference God has made in my life? He said, my daughter, Allison, was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. All she had known for those five years was a man who was profane and angry. He said, one night I I came home after work. And he said, I was so angry at life, he said, I kicked a hole in the wall of the living room of our home. 
He said, I am ashamed to tell you how many times my five-year-old Allison hid in her room from her angry dad. But then he gloriously met Jesus Christ. Five months after he became a Christian, little five-and-a-half-year-old Allison went to her mother and she said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. Strobel said she was five years old. He said, what was she saying? She had never studied the archaeological evidence for the truth of the Bible. But he said, all she knew was her dad used to be this way, hard to live with, but more and more and more, he was becoming another way. And in her five-year-old mind, she thought, if that's what God does to people, then sign me up. And Lee Strobel said, at five years of age, little Allison gave her life to Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. He said, God changed my family. He changed my world. And he changed my eternity. And that's the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can change your family. He can change your world. He can change your eternity. Aren't you grateful? It's not human power that morning. It was the power of God. It was the power of God. And that same power is available today through the Christ who proved all of his claims and is alive forevermore to change your life and to change mine. Let's bow our heads together and our hearts for just a moment. And I want you to think about your own relationship with Jesus. In a few moments, our service will close. Many of us will head in for breakfast. Others of us will go out to the events of the day. And our thoughts will be taken away from the message of the gospel. But I wonder where you stand with Jesus today. Do you know Him as your personal Lord and Savior? Maybe you have known all about Him. Maybe you have been raised to believe these things. And you would say to me, Pastor Brian... I don't need to be convinced. I believe it all. But have you ever, by a personal act of faith, repented of your own sins and invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior? Knowing about these things will not save you. It is knowing personally the Savior you can say something like this in your heart silently to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have done many wrong things. I'm like those craven, cowardly disciples. I have failed you in many ways. 
But I believe that you, Jesus of Nazareth, a historical figure who really lived, who grew up in a town and lived in a nation, was crucified. And you were crucified for me. You died for my sins. But I also believe the message of the angel, that he has been raised, that he is not here. Look at the evidence where he laid. And you can say to the Lord Jesus, Lord, right now, I repent. I turn from my own selfish way, and I turn to you. I ask you to come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. I ask you to come into my life, Lord Jesus, and take over as my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Give me the life that you rose again to give. Make me now, by faith in your name, a child of God. And now would you say, Lord Jesus, believing your promise, believing the word of God that whoever believes has been transferred out of death into life, I will now follow you with all of my heart as one of your Christ followers. I know that I will not do it perfectly. I know that I will fail in many ways. But God, now living within me and helping me, I will now live for you with all of my heart. Would you say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Father, I know that what I've just asked people to do, they cannot do. Lord, our eyes are too blind. Our hearts are too hard. And you must, by the work of the Holy Spirit, remove the scales from our eyes so that we can see. And you must take the heart of stone and you must turn it into a heart of flesh so that we can respond. And I pray, Lord, today, that as the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone forth, that you would honor your word, and by your spirit that is present, the scales would fall from many eyes, the hearts of stone would turn into hearts of flesh. Christ, who stands at the door this day, knocking and asking for entrance, would gain entrance into many hearts, and many today would be born anew in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, may this be a great day, not only of honoring you alive forevermore, but of seeing souls come to you and know the power that your resurrection says is real and alive today. And we'll thank you and praise you for Jesus' great and wonderful sake, and all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Listen, if you committed your heart to Christ today, <clears throat> I'd love to know that. 
If you have questions, if there are more things you'd like to talk about, about what you heard, that's the reason we are here. And so you call us on the phone, set up an appointment with us. Whatever we can do, we want to help you to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God bless you. Have a great continuing day. Let's continue to worship the Lord as our service closes this morning.